Welcome to episode 117 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and for this episode, I spoke with Chris Hodges. Been sitting on this episode for a little bit, but I'm just as hyped to air it today as I am way back when I recorded it in February. Chris is an awesome dude. He's the front man for Pistols at Dawn and also fronts the Lincoln Park experience called In the End. Got to see those guys back in the fall, and man, did they blow me away. So I had to get Chris on here and talk to him about how he juggles both bands and learns all that material, which Pistols at Dawn are currently on the road this spring. The dude's touring around the country, so he took time out of his busy schedule to talk to me. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Chris Hodges. Big thank you to Chris, and also thanks to everyone who listens to this episode of A-Sides. Look, it's rock and roll! And cue music. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, dude. It's always fun, man. I enjoy these moments. Yeah, sorry my schedule's been so nuts. I'm in Vegas right now, and we were having meet with media and all this show. Glad to have a few minutes with you. Well, you said like you're busy already with, like, what were they, radio and like media interviews? There's a uh, radio convention happening down here in Vegas. So I'm down here with the band that I'm doing lead vocals for. They had an original singer, and he left, so I... Took over vocals for him a few months ago. So these guys were already on the radio and yeah. already had a bunch of shows lined up and everything. So this is like where we get to meet all the people that are playing the single for Pistols at Dawn. Because I saw that you played or you had the Daughtry show scheduled last night. And then just this morning, I was kind of going through something online like Facebook. And I noticed a guy I know in radio, he happened to be out in Vegas. And then I was like, Oh, okay, that makes sense because there's a radio convention and you're doing a radio showcase thing. So yep, 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 program yep. directors. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we played for all the PDs, basically all the PDs in America. I love those guys, dude. You even did uh, back in November. You did like kind of like a radio tour, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. I didn't I haven't paid attention to radio in years, and I didn't even think of that as a, as an outlet, a medium that's being used. Radio is strong, dude. Like we went to all these radio stations and like their contact and communication and connection with the with the towns that they're in, the local towns that they're in. Like you can't you can't get that from TikTok algorithms and Spotify. Like these guys yeah. are doing something really cool. So anytime we get to go out and tour and perform for them, I'm down to do it. So is it like an acoustic performance thing or were you actually like playing on the radio, like a live performance? Both, both. Oh, okay, we cool. would go through and do acoustic uh, performances. Um, we would just crash their morning shows. A few of them didn't even know we were coming. We'd just crash them. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in uh, Peoria, Illinois. And I saw that like you were in Bloomington, Illinois, which is about 40 minutes away. And then there was another one, Springfield, Illinois. Yeah. I didn't know if it was going to be yeah, like a giveaway or if it was a contest or what. And then it seemed like maybe that was a morning show. You just crashed. I don't know. Probably. I, I know that there's a couple there were a couple of them where there were there were contests uh, for people to win tickets to come into the studio and get a private performance by us. I don't think that was Illinois. I think that was like Alabama oh, okay. or something. Yeah, your band that you're now, that Pistols at Dawn, you guys have to be blown up if you got the Alter Bridge Tour next month, and now you got the Fozzie Ugly Kid Joe Tour as well, man. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like, I just jumped into this, um, like I said, original singer exited, I guess, right before all of this was being put together. He had to exit, and I took his spot. I got a phone call from from Pistols, and they are just like, you know, they live in Atlanta, I'm in L.A., And they called me and they're just like, hey, we have all this stuff lined up. We saw you online with your in the in band and uh, wondering if if you could jump in and help us out. So I jumped in, man, and learned their learned their catalog. And I mean, next thing I knew, we're on the road. So they're they're blowing up, dude. It's really fun to watch. It's really fun to be a part of, actually. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because a buddy of mine actually got tickets for the Ugly Kid Joe. So we're going to go up in Moline. 
Nice, dude. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's going to be uh, badass. I know there's a lot of musicians now. That's kind of the thing. Like, you got to be like a working musician where you're in multiple bands. But like, seriously, like, how do you do it? Because if you got to go coast to coast almost and learn all these songs, how do you keep it together? Uh, I don't keep it together. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 no, it's, it's, it's really fun. So I started in L.A. as a session singer. And, you know, a lot of people come to L.A. and they step out as artists, as their own artists. And I didn't have any success doing that whenever I came out to L.A. It's like, I don't know, what was 10 years ago? 13, 2013. I didn't have any success doing that, but I was hiring a group of session musicians to play with me on stage. And I had never heard of a session musician before in my life. And I remember talking to these guys like, what do you do? Like, how you just play for multiple bands. You're just back. You're just the back line for all of these bands. And they they basically explained their job to me. And I was like, that's awesome. Do session singers exist? And they were like, not too many of them. So I was like, interesting. So I started studying the the session musician world and started promoting myself as a session singer. And all of a sudden I started getting jobs, bands that were hiring me to be their singer. And then I went remote and started doing uh, writing with a bunch of people online. Like they would send me their tracks and I would put my vocals on them and send them back. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm working with people around the world, literally around the world. It started becoming a real job. So I had, long story short, I learned how to manage multiple projects through being a session singer. Mm -hmm. So when this came along, I had in the end, and then um, I started working with Grey Days six months ago, privately, I couldn't tell anybody. And then Pistols was a thing already. And my solo project had been going for a while. And so that's four things. I wouldn't have been able to manage all this if I hadn't become a session singer to begin with. I learned all that. I learned all that over the past 10 years. And I feel like my whole journey over the past 10 years has, has put me in the right position for this right now so that I can be in multiple bands and do my best for everybody and, uh, and be professional, basically. Oh, damn. You kind of were like laying the groundwork. I guess so. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize I was doing that, but I guess so. I listened to you on that uh, Crack and Backs podcast, and you mentioned the session singer, but then you also said how you owned a gym. So I guess that kind of almost like doing the multiple jobs and stuff already kind of put you in line too. Yeah. Yeah. I have always been into fitness and I worked as a personal trainer whenever I was younger. Then I opened up a few gyms in LA. And so, yeah, there was a period of time where I was doing uh, fitness and music at the same time. And it was really cool, actually. I learned a lot because when you're doing fitness, you're learning a lot of business sense. And when you're doing music, you're you're just creative. And doing those two things actually benefited both industries that I was in. So learning business from GoTribe helped me with implementing business into music. And then being in music helped me with being creative with GoTread. And so I wouldn't take that away from my resume. It's been extremely helpful. So did you always want to be like a singer too? Going back before the session stuff you got into? Always. I can't remember a time where I didn't want to be a musician. My senior project in high school, I did it on, uh, what was I? I was like an intern at a studio in Dallas, Texas. Before that, I was in choir you know, whatever the little middle school, whatever you oh, do right. in middle school. As in choir, I've always I played piano whenever I was younger, whenever I was like nine, ten years old. So I've always, always, always wanted to be a musician. Awesome, man. So is that how you got hooked up with Zach St. John, the session stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So we got hooked up when we I was playing with a different group of session guys and then I wanted to start a session musician company. A friend of mine introduced me to Zach as a good guy. He was already doing remote sessions. And so that's how I met with Zach is through starting a session musician company. And I started it with three other guys. And um, from there, yeah, we started working with a ton of different artists. And we've been playing for, you know, eight years together on various projects. So it was really natural whenever In The End came along. Because we had already been playing together for years on different various projects. And so we just got on the studio and played Linkin Park music and it turned out really well. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
it's kind of like too, like even like listening, like I went back and listened to that cracking backs thing when I was taking notes. And even the dude on the, one of the doctors, I don't know which one was which, but he even was the same way. He's like, man, I want to talk to you. I'm pumped up. And I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, man, it's like, well, there's obviously your musical background in all your different bands. Like then the fitness, but then something else kind of struck me too, is you were very open about mental health as well. And you're like, and you were saying in the end, kind of, don't you kind of like promote mental health awareness through the band as well? Yeah. So when we started in the end, you know, Chester passing kind of wrecked everybody that loves Lincoln Park and loves rock music in general. And he he was always an influence to me growing up. And so um, when we did, when we started the tribute band, I was, we, I didn't know how it was going to go. Um, it, it was either going to be accepted or it was going to be rejected um, violently. Because <laughs> with someone like Chester, you can't mess that up. So yeah. one of the things that I wanted to do with, in the end, was I wanted to donate to mental health nonprofits. Like I didn't want to do this for any type of, self-serving purposes i wanted to do it so that we could see if the lincoln park community wanted live music and i wanted to do it so that we could donate to mental health nonprofits. Mm -hmm. and so every night when we're on stage i make sure that everybody knows this is why we're here we're here to talk about uh, first of all normalize talking about mental health and and secondly putting our money where our mouth is and making sure that we're donating to mental health nonprofits also so when did you guys actually start that? I think it was like 2018 or 2019 started. That. 2018, 2018. 2018. So then... luckily we're in, we're in, uh, we're in the area where Lincoln Park started. Like uh, we know almost everybody that was involved in Lincoln Park and their journey. So uh, from their first managers to the cook um, on the Lincoln Park tours to <laughs> just everybody, dude. And they all live within the same vicinity. We started this thing in 18. I remember going to, I'm friends with one of the former managers of Lincoln Park. And I remember going to him, I had coffee with him in Sherman Oaks. And I was like, dude, I'm thinking about doing this thing. What do you think? And he was like, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to be, it's going to go really well and you're going to be extremely successful with it, or it's going to be blasphemy. And he goes, it's on you. So I was like, great, awesome. I took my time to make sure that I could do Chester's vocals justice. And I think we had our first show. I think our first show was Viper Room on Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset Boulevard. You know, 50 people, decent for a first show. And then 100 people and then 200, then 500, then 1,000 people, then 2,000, then 5,000 people. And it just started growing, dude. And quickly, it was quite shocking. But And then the pandemic happened and everything shut down. And as soon as things started open, opening back up, we went right back to work, right back where we started. Yeah, we've been doing this since 2018. Yeah, so like five years now, man. Yeah, dude, it's been pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, it must be growing because I'm in Illinois and you guys were just here like a couple months ago and I went up to that show. Uh, um, which one was that? West Dundee at Rock House. West Dundee. Yeah, yeah. Rock House. Super yeah. cool venue, dude. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. And uh, man, I have not sweat that much at a show like in my life. You and me both, dude. I I don't know. That was the winter too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was October, like mid-October. Yeah, I don't know why the hell it was so hot in there. <laughs> All the bodies awesome, jumping man. around and like even a mosh pit. It's my favorite. When we get to start a mosh pit at a venue, that's my favorite. <laughs> Going back to like mental health, I've been trying to kind of become more aware of my own over the last couple of years, especially the pandemic kind of highlighted it. And I'm on anxiety medicine. And here's the thing, like I'm doing this podcast, I come up with notes. So it's almost like a script, almost like reminders to myself. And then I just noticed my girlfriend put hearts on it. So she must've saw this this morning. So that's my notes. That's here. fantastic, dude. But, that's sweet. So yeah, it's almost like to center myself because sometimes like I have anxiety and I get stuck or something and i start to stutter so so by the way i have massive anxiety too um yeah. and so um on stage with any project that i have i have notes as well and so yeah. uh, and then i get in my head and all sorts of shit starts happening so i have notes i have scripts i have choreography i've got all these things so having notes is 
I think it saves us with, yeah. with people with anxiety. Have you like battled with that your whole life? Like, how did you even like, I guess, know what it was or something? Because I feel like at least for me, it's like, I just thought that was who I am. And I didn't realize it actually like was a specific thing that I have. Uh, same. I didn't know that either. I don't think that when I grew up, um, it was people were allowed to talk about it and especially not the way they are now. And so I, ju I was just having a conversation with my bass player buddy out here in Vegas with pistols. We were talking about when was the first time we felt anxiety. And I remember I felt that I, one of my earliest memories was just having a heavy weight on my chest, in my heart. And it was just pushing me down. And I couldn't explain what it was. I didn't have the words or the education or the knowledge to express what it was. But that just constant pressure on my chest. I remember some of my earliest memories, four or five, six years old. I had that. And I grew up in a home where you didn't really talk about stuff like that. Yeah. And so I didn't even think I heard the word anxiety or depression until my teen years. And I remember going into, I did blood work one time and the, the doctor was analyzing my blood work. I think I was probably 13 years old, 14 years old. And he was doing blood work and he looks at me and he goes, this is a lot of anxiety and pressure. Your blood work is showing a lot of anxiety and pressure. And he, he leaned in and he goes, this is a lot of pressure for a young boy. And I remember mm -hmm. I just started, I just started bawling, dude. And my parents were in the room. We left the doctor's office, never spoken of it again. So I don't think that, you know, back then parents, people in general, I don't think they were equipped to have conversations like that with their children. They probably didn't know what it was themselves. Yeah. And so it just turned out that mine was excessive. And um, so even after that, I got a, I got started to understand what anxiety and depression was at that point. Once I heard a doctor tell me, it still wasn't dealt with in the proper manner that it should have been. And so um, obviously when you are suffering, you want suffering to end. And so you're going to turn to anything to make suffering end. And so that's where drugs and alcohol came into play. That's where bad attitudes and lashing out came into play and and, uh, you know, and then whenever I got older, maybe a few years ago, you finally realized that, you know, these things, people look at you in a certain light and you get this reputation for being a bad person because these things you're doing. Yeah. And I, I think that what I realized was it's not that you're a bad person. It's that just that you want the suffering to end. You want the pain to go away. And that doesn't make you a bad person. You just want the pain to go away. You're, you're in constant pain. I, I just I, I had a little bit of grace on myself at that point. And I said, okay, I'm just it's I'm looking for a painkiller, that's all. And then once I was able to have a little bit of grace on myself, I was I was able to actually address some of the issues that I was having. And that's a really important part of this thing is having grace and acceptance for yourself. Self acceptance is really important because yeah. you don't you you're not having self acceptance so that you can stay the same way. You're having self-acceptance so that you can recognize it and improve and change as a human and learn and grow as a human. I really appreciate self-acceptance and people talking about self-acceptance. I wish that people would talk about a little bit more about, well, yes, you are supposed to have self-acceptance, but that's the first step in the journey of healing. Um, yeah, not just accept it and then move on, I guess. Get, accept it and then like learn from it. Yeah, Accept yeah. it and learn from it. If you accept it and stay the same way you're still in the, having the same issues did you then turn to like music as an outlet when you had those frustrations yeah that was a big yeah. help um able being able to uh write lyrics and express myself creatively through the music was uh, a big help you know it i got into the, the music that was angry i always liked angry yeah. music <laughs> and it was funny you know parents back then it's like oh, well, your kid is angry because he's listening to angry music. It's like, no, I'm listening to angry music to release the anger, to get it out, to put it somewhere else. Yeah. And so I've always been a sucker for angry, heavy music because 
the release that comes from that is exactly what I needed and still need to this day. And I guess fitness is an outlet as well. You kind of, I think you said that when you're working out, it opened up like, like your mind or is it like endorphins or whatever gets pumping in your body? Totally, you dude. With lyrics and stuff. Totally. It's yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point. I, I got into fitness. Um, I was a, I was a wrestler in high school, but then after high school, I, uh, like all of us, we forget what fitness is. Yeah. And then I remember I got, I got back into fitness and it was really fun because when even music wouldn't work, when even music wasn't helping me with all the crap that I was dealing with, that's when fitness actually started to kick in and, and, and help and release some of that that I was dealing with. Mm. And um, getting strong, releasing endorphins, it's, it's scientifically proven that you know, when you work out, you're releasing serotonin and dopamine, um, which is the feel good hormones, and you're reducing cortisol, which is the feel bad hormones. So these two things are happening chemically in your body whenever you're working out and you're doing physical fitness. And so yes, that is a huge, huge um, solution for depression and anxiety is if you can't do anything else, if you can't, uh, speak good words about yourself if you can't see you can't seem to quit smoking or drinking or doing all this stuff okay no worries go push go lift some weights go push some weights around go run you know go run outside you can physically do those things go walk on a treadmill these these things that you can actively do that will help get a control over what you're dealing with and so we, even when music failed physical fitness never failed me and that's a big part of my daily process now. On stage, you're like all over and it's like high energy. And I even mentioned like, yeah, I was sweating, just bouncing around. What kind of what kind of workouts do you do to stay in shape to do that? So I, first of all, run about two or three miles a day as like a nice warm up. And then I like functional movements. I like uh, CrossFit type workouts, high intensity interval training. Um, jumping, box jumps, uh, push presses, uh, squats, you know, all that fun stuff. And, um, you know, luckily I opened a gym and I ended up selling the gym, but I still live across the street from it. And I get to go in and whenever I'm in town, I go in and they kick my ass. And, uh, but it's all like, for me, it's all high intensity interval training because I have to do that to be able to do an hour and a half to two hours on stage of what you saw. Yeah. You got to have cardio for that. You have to have muscular endurance for that. You got to have like strong lungs, mainly running and high intensity interval training. Oh, right on. Like I'm trying to work out like myself because it kind of helps with the anxiety, but um, I think I almost get bored in the gym. So I like running outside, but now where I'm yeah. at in the winter, it's hard. So I have to like force myself to run on the treadmill. Yeah, treadmill is kind of boring. So it kind of worked out how you were saying you had to like push this back because you were doing stuff. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make the most of this. I'm going to try to go to the gym and try to work out. So maybe I can work off some of this nervousness too. But yeah, dude, it, did, it, did you do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went over. I got a gym at my apartment complex. So I just kind of went. Did yeah, it help? So it worked out. Yeah, yeah. It, it really does, man, because I still I get nerves, you know, stages is, is, is nerve wracking. And um, if I wasn't, yeah, it, it, aside from the physical part, uh, the emotional part is like it allows me to release a lot of the cortisol stress hormones that I have to, to calm down and focus on my job, which is entertaining people. Yeah. I even got into yoga recently, too, and I've been trying to do that the last year. And then that led to Pilates. And so I've been trying to do that, too. So that is so huge, dude. Uh, yoga is so huge because that's that that connects your mind and your body and your spirit all at the same time. High intensity interval training is great. It's good for cardio. It's good for like we talked about your hormone regulation. But yoga is like a fitness program that into, introduces your spirituality to your body and your mind. And that's whenever mm -hmm. I feel the best, whenever all three are kind of aligned. And uh, the best way I can do that is to have yoga in my practice. Oh, cool, cool. I guess going back to the music, too, we've already said 2023 20, is like 
huge for you because you got these upcoming tours and stuff. But um, are you fans of the uh, bands that you're going to be playing with too? Like Alter Bridge, Wolfgang, Ugly Kid Joe, Fozzy? Like, dude, is that so your team? I, yes, I'm a huge Alter Bridge fan. When Blackbird came out, I remember when when they were when they formed, and I was like, interesting. It's going to be Creed without Scott Stapp. Um, okay. And the first time I heard Miles Kennedy's voice, I was like, holy sh! that is yeah. my favorite voice. That is my favorite voice. I've never heard Miles Kennedy hit a sour note. Show me a leader that won't compromise. Show me a leader so hope never dies. And so I'm a huge Miles Kennedy fan, really. Um, love Mark Tremonti, amazing guitarist. But being a singer, I super, super respect Miles Kennedy as a singer. So I'm stoked to be on tour with them. Maybe uh, get a vocal lesson or two, oh, and awesome. then uh, <laughs> and then with uh, Ugly Kid Joe and Fozzie, I'm a huge wrestling fan. So oh, really? Just, oh, yeah, shoot. just meeting just meeting Chris Jericho and being able to go on tour with Chris Jericho is going to be super fun. Yeah, damn. I, that was my thing too, going back to when I was a kid, like my thing to escape or whatever, before I really took to music, my escape was going watching pro wrestling, like, you know, yeah, dude, uh, Macho Man and like Bret Hart and stuff. Absolutely. That's my jam, dude. My favorite was WCW. I always liked the underdog. Oh, damn. All right. So Sting, you know, Ric Flair, my favorites. Big Van Vader was one of my favorite heels of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's one of my my favorite heels and so like Sting and Big Van Vader matches just iconic, man. And I wish that I wish that they would get there. I think people slept on WCW back then. It was so good, dude. I I just yeah. loved it even more than WWE. Oh, well, it was big for a while cuz NWO, I guess. You know? Dude, I was stoked when all that was going on. NWO, <laughs> Goldberg, Pro Sting. Like that's when that's when I was like embarrassed. I I was embarrassingly addicted to WCW at that point. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I was like I couldn't tell anybody, so I'd go. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I don't like that crap. And then I'd go, you know, watch it for six hours. So high school, man. It was yeah, like dude. wrestling. I don't know about you, but before that, like I felt like I had to hide wrestling because it wasn't cool during that era. Dude, totally, but then finally, bro. when it blew up with Steve Austin and NWO, it's like. Oh, okay. Now I kind of feel accepted or something for a while. It's, so it, it, in my high school, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And so um, it was definitely more widely accepted. But I remember the group of people that liked pro wrestling was not like the popular group. It was it was the, the nerds. And yeah. uh, but among, like nobody hated on them for liking pro wrestling. And I just could never admit that I loved it as much as I loved it because I, <laughs> you know, I'm just insecure little boy yeah, and uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't admit it. And so i never wore the NWO shirts, never, never talked about it. I'd just go home and I had all the action figures, dude. I had all the action figures. I had a wrestling ring. I would go to my dude. I would go to my grandma's house. <laughs> I go to my grandma's house and uh, we'd always go to blockbuster and rent movies. And so um, that was like my I wasn't allowed to really watch pro wrestling in my house. So whenever I went to my grandma's, we went to go to Blockbuster. She'd get whatever pretty woman, whatever she wanted. And I'd like stack up on old school classic pro wrestling matches from WCW and WWE. <laughs> I would just stock up on like Summer Slams and WrestleManias and, you know, bash at the beach and and get my fix, get my fill. And uh, that's how I that's how I watched. I couldn't watch it at home because my parents wouldn't let me. Uh, couldn't admit that I liked it so much because I was a teenager and it was not cool. So my time to really just let my nerd flag fly <laughs> was at my grandma's house renting all these pro wrestling videos, dude. Damn, yeah, man, I can I can relate. Well, I could watch it at my house because like my parents let me order uh, the pay per views and stuff, but. With the video rental stuff, I actually like going to my grandma's in Indiana because their video stores had different ones than what we had. So it was like a whole new world. Like I unlocked, like, I don't know, like uh, some treasure chest of stuff. When I'd go to Indiana, I had a whole other stuff to rent. 
like they had they had uh, alternative options, like different. It seemed like for some reason the stuff that we had around here was maybe like, I don't know, it might have SummerSlam 92, but then I didn't see SummerSlam like, I don't know, 93 until I went to Indiana. And it wasn't like YouTube or something. There wasn't the internet at all. So like I didn't yeah. know there was other stuff that existed. Yeah, we didn't have but, YouTube, yeah. man. These kids, these kids don't know. <laughs> these kids these days, they don't know yeah. how what we had to do to watch our videos, man. Yeah, man, got to get your Macho Man fix. <laughs> got to, man. You got to. Yeah. But um, honestly, bro, like professional wrestling fan, I think actually served me well because um, it's entertainment. And yeah, man, they know how to work a crowd, dude. Like that's their whole job. The technique is is part of it, but their whole job is to entertain a live crowd. You got, you know, you gotta, you gotta have them love you, or you gotta have them hate you. And the worst thing for a professional wrestler is to just not be uh, acknowledged, like Roman Reigns, acknowledge me. Yeah. The worst yeah. thing is to just be average. And so, even when I get hate um, on stage or in comments or anything like that, I'm like, at least they're reacting. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even going back to that, I keep going back to that crack and backs podcast. You even mentioned they talked about um, you opened up for Steel Panther and you were kind of like afraid of that crowd. And you said that like after the first song, nobody was really saying anything. But by the end, you had won them over. So it's the same way doing the crowd work and stuff. Totally. You're absolutely right. And that yeah. was my first experience with having to win a crowd over. And I didn't know I didn't know anything about Steel Panther or their fans. I had to learn on the spot. <laughs> uh like in in session training right there and i think that, that was like the first time i had performed to a big crowd i think 2500 people at that show and sold out and that was the first time i had ever experienced anything like that but i went into it and quickly realized um this is not going to be as easy as i thought it was going to be and yeah some dude uh i didn't hear this but some dude like yelled out you're trying too hard <laughs> Yeah, you know, like maybe three songs in because I was, dude, I was trying hard. Um, but yeah, bro, by the end of that, by the end of that show, I was off the stage in the crowd, holding hands with these people, and they didn't know a word of the band that I was playing with. They had no idea who it was. But it didn't oh, matter damn. because we're all having fun. Yeah. So you played all these shows with different bands and uh, in the end, but have you actually went on a, a tour like you're about to do? Have you ever done anything like this before? We're going on nothing. I think Fozzie and Ugly Kid Joe is going to be six weeks. Uh, I've never done a yeah. six week tour before. Uh, usually it's, you know, one or two weeks and, and then you're off the road. This is going to be the first time where it's like months. But um, um, yeah, it looked like between the Alter Bridge thing, you're out there for like three months. I'm going to be gone for probably four months. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back in, in April. But even in April, I fly to Phoenix for Grey Days rehearsals. I'm not even going to be in town all of April. I'm just going to be rehearsing for the U-Fest show. So it's basically like I'm on tour with Pistols in March. Uh, I'm in, in April. I'm in Phoenix rehearsing with Grey Days. In yeah. May, I'm, I do. So basically, the way it's going to work out is I start the Ugly Kid Joe Fozzie tour with with Pistols in california and then i have to fly uh, overnight to phoenix to go do u fest and then i fly overnight again to vegas to catch up with pistols again on the on the tour yeah i'm gonna be playing with multiple multiple bands that's the first time that this is gonna happen um so again training being a session singer all that training has kind of led me up to this point where you know, it's go time and I got to I got to do my best at, at all these at all these projects and all these tours. Yeah, because that is nuts, because like I looked, I saw from your Instagram, you're doing that Grey Day show out in Arizona. And I think it's like the start of May. But then like right after that, the Ugly Kid Joe tour was announced. So I was like, wait, are you still going to be doing this? And it looks like you're like it looks like basically a Friday you're with uh, Pistols at Dawn. Then a Saturday you're in Arizona. Then the next day you're like right back on tour. Yeah, Man. correct. So I've organized it to where in every like on the bus, we, you know, we're obviously going to sleep really well, but we have hotels at every stop and I'm going to take full advantage of the hotel gym every single day with two days off. Sleep is extremely important. So I made sure that, you know, either I got my bed on the bus or I had that hotel room. I won't be sleeping on, 
you know, park benches, thank God. Uh, so it's going to be a nicely set up tour, both of these, all of these tours will. So that's going to be really important for me to be able to pull all this off. That was going to be my next question is like, are you going to be able to maintain all your fitness while you're out on the road? But I guess with the hotels and stuff, yeah. Always, even with the two week tours and even the weekend tours, we always have, always have to make room for it. So either it's a day of yoga, if I'm exhausted and my body hurts, then it's a day of yoga and maybe walking. And whenever I have recovered, then it's high intensity interval training, two mile runs, um, that sort of thing. Cool. I guess speaking of technology, yeah, you can just pull up something like a workout on your laptop just in your hotel room, right? So yeah. So I, I created, whenever I created a GoTribe, the fitness company, I also mm -hmm. created a fitness data tracking technology. I created a GoTribe app. And it'll track your heart rate, it'll track your sleep and your stress, you log food in it, and then you friend request people that you want to share this information with. So so it's a really cool accountability tool. You can see your friends' workouts, you can see your friends' food, uh, their stress levels, their sleep levels, and you can like and comment on their, it works like a social networking feed. Oh, cool. So it helps me, it helps me hold myself accountable um, to staying fit on the road. And it also it also um, helps my friends and all of us stay connected while I'm on the road. And uh, so we can make fun of each other through, you know, oh, you did that workout was weak, bro. It was the blue zone <laughs> the entire time. Pull it together. I guess accountability. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, it's accountability and connection, man. So the app is super cool. It's called Go Tribe Social. It's on uh, iOS and Android. So when you're working out, what would be like your go to band to work out to? Mm. Or do you just have like a shuffle going? So when I'm not learning, because right now I'm in music learning phase. Yeah. I have to learn music for four different bands and four different catalogs. So right now that's when I learn and memorize. Uh, so right now I have a Pistols at Dawn playlist. that It's our set list. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a Grey Days set list that I listen to when I work out. I have a Chris Hodges playlist that I listen to so that I don't forget my own music. And in, in a Linkin Park set list. So literally just the bands that I'm playing with uh, is what I'm listening to right now. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> usually, usually it would be like, yeah. I like, um, I like super hardcore electronic music, like uh, Sullivan King or Ghost of Maine is one of my favorites right now. Like just super dark um, oh, cool. trap, trap metal type stuff. I dig it, bro. Um, even your solo album you mentioned, like I checked that out and there's like all sorts of styles on there too. Like Dude, it's a it's a melting pot, it's a cluster yeah. of different styles, but it's very very electronic, very metal, very pop, very it's what I wanted to do. It was twenty twenty, yeah. pandemic hit. I was just like, all right, life isn't real, so let's try something. Let's see what happens. Was your music inspired by the gym? Because it kind of sounds like a workout class. I guess, I guess so. I mean, that's part of that's part of my journey. So I guess it, it was part of, you know, making music that I could work out to. Super important. Mm -hmm. Making music I enjoyed. I've always enjoyed electronic music. I've always enjoyed R&B and stuff with a groove. Blues, growing up with blues was huge for me. I loved blues. I loved pop. I loved Michael Jackson. loved Madonna. Boys to Men. I, I loved all that. The music is like a, a just a cluster of all of the pop and the mainstream that I listen to with the blues and then with metal. How does all that fit together is, is how I made the solo album. Well, there's some cool songs on there. There's some, I don't know how to describe it, but cool sounds, I guess. I don't know how to describe it either, bro. It's crazy. Yeah. I guess I got one other thing too to throw in there. After we kind of set up this thing and I approach you about doing a podcast, it kind of hit me. Meteora's anniversary is this year, the 20th anniversary. And then in the meantime too, they had released that unreleased song called Lost. Mm -hmm. Have you checked that out? Absolutely, dude. Mm. Lost is awesome.
can see why I can see why uh, Chester didn't want it on the record because it's a it's more on the poppy side. And back then, it sounded like Chester and Mike wanted to go like super heavy. And yeah. so I understand I understand why it didn't make it on the record, but I think the song is killer, and um, it deserves to be released. I'm glad that they finally released it. Do you like? I actually it? had the same thought. Yeah, I actually had the same thought. I was like, "Well, wait, why didn't they put this out? This song's awesome, but it kind of sounds like it might have been the direction they're going for the next album." So correct, dude. I think that they wanted to go as heavy, you know, because you got to follow up. You're following up Hybrid Theory, bro. You got to do something. You got to kick people in the face. Do you remember? So Slipknot put out Iowa, um, yeah. right after their their first album, and dude, Iowa blew my mind. That was just the the nastiest album I had ever heard at that time. Corn with Life is Peachy. Like you always have to outdo yourself on that sophomore on that first record. And so I think League of Park fell in that same category where like, okay, we gotta go balls to the wall on this one. And I think that's why Lost didn't make it on is because Lost is like a beautiful, slower, poppy song. Yeah, man, you're right. Because, yeah, going back, we're from the same era. So if you do think about that, Linkin Park's first one was 2000. And in between uh, 2000 and 2003, you did have Iowa. You had System of a Down blown up. You even had Mudvayne in there. So, yeah, they did have to up They had to up it, dude. You're absolutely right, man. That was the moment that metal was probably at its peak, minus the 80s. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was when metal metal had the most eyes on it and so lost is a great song it took him 20 years but i think that's why they didn't release it back then so you were a fan of lincoln park obviously back hell yeah ever since then yeah did you see those guys on tour at all bro i never saw lincoln park live me either shit <laughs> you know i thought i had time yeah no i never saw him live chester was always a huge influence on me because he was the first one that i ever heard that could could do the gritty nasty screaming and then also have a beautiful beautiful singing voice so he had me he had me on the aesthetics and yeah. then diving in deep on the words on what they're actually communicating i'm like wow i uh, got a lot in common with this guy here and you know he was kind of one of the first ones that actually spoke up about his issues that was right about the time where you know i don't think there was still socially acceptable but i think that Chester had a huge influence on normalizing it. And he normalized it through hybrid theory, through Meteora, through the whole catalog. But I was I was a huge fan and still am a huge fan of Chester. Awesome. I did not see Lincoln Park, but I did get to see him with Stone to Pilots back in like mm. 2013. So how was that? It was awesome. I know people were kind of skeptical about that, maybe even haters, but like you said, he's got the melodic side to him and it fit. Around that time, I even saw some article where he actually had an interview where he said that one day he wanted to be the singer of Stone Temple Pilots because that was his favorite yeah. band. And then he did it. So, yeah. And he got to do it. It's crazy. He got to do yeah. it for a few years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Satisfying a childhood dream. That's awesome. It's kind of like, look at you, man. You're went from session musician to the in the end band, which then uh, the guys in Pistols at Dawn saw you, found you. And now you're on tour with Alter Bridge and then tour with Fozzy, which is a pro wrestling connection. So it's kind of like um, all you're these right, things dude. like spitballing. You're right, stuff. dude. That's that's I never actually thought about that. Um, all my childhood dreams, being a professional musician, touring with the bands that I love, being in, you know, performing with Grey Days is crazy. It's It's insane for me to be able to, you know, a tribute band is one thing. Yeah. But being uh, be able, being able to perform with the actual band that created the music with Chester is really um, I'm honored to do that, and uh, and then you know my connection with pro wrestling with Fozzie, man, what do I got to complain about? Yeah, man, damn. <laughs> Speaking of to the Lincoln Park in the end, you said, well, it's just a tribute band, but actually, I think it's kind of like I think you have it as in the end the Lincoln Park experience. I think is actually the title of it. I saw you guys. It's fucking fantastic. If I lived in California, I swear I would see you guys every weekend. That's that's one thing that we didn't want to do. I'm not shaving my head and tattooing flames on my arms, and you know I'm not dressing like 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 dude. Um, I I respect Chester too much to do that. I'm just gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay homage, but I'm not gonna try to sound like I'm. I'm gonna sound like myself. Yeah. Um, and so that's why. 
we got lumped into this tribute thing. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess, but it's not, you know, none of us are trying to dress up like them. We're just singing the music that we love and, you know, connecting with the LP audience, doing it the way that we want to do it. I don't like the word tribute. I don't like the, the stigma of tribute bands because we're not. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we called it the Lincoln Park Experience instead of Lincoln Park Tribute. Are there any songs that you guys you don't have on the set list that you want to add in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, I'm dying to do uh, "Waiting for the End." Awesome. I love that song, dude. I love that song. The thing is, is it's so complicated because there's so many harmonies and so much. There's like three part harmonies and so much stuff going on that it'd be difficult to pull off. But I think we could pull it off. We just need to have a few more rehearsals. Yeah, man, that is a beautiful song. Totally. We were singing Hybrid Theory, you know, awesome album. And then they stepped up with Meteora. But I think that that one, what is it? A Thousand Suns. That was a game changer. Because at first I didn't like it. I didn't like the catalyst. But after I dove into the album, I was like, man, this is this has this just blew my mind with all sorts of different songs and sounds. Totally agree, bro. Yeah, I think I, I kind of fell off after Meteora for a while. And I totally slept on what's that a third album? Minutes to Midnight. Minutes to Midnight. Thank you. I totally slept on Minutes to Midnight until like maybe five years later. And then I caught caught back up with their catalog. Dude, going back to Minutes to Midnight, there's not a bad song on it. It's insane. I I think I have yet to hear a bad Linkin Park song. I got to admit this, too. Like, I, I guess I was a fan, and then I kind of did fall off, too, because maybe they got too overexposed on the radio, and then I kind of went back. So it was kind of in waves, but you guys really, at your show, the show I saw in October, you really kind of like, I never took notice of Breaking the Habit before mm -hmm. until that show. And I really focused on the lyrics and like that song, like I feel like it really hit me. So mm -hmm. thank you for putting that back on my radar. Absolutely. I, that was off my radar as well. Dude, when when at the end of the song you saw that we make everybody sing it a cappella and the whole place was singing it, yeah, with nothing but voices. That is one of the most powerful things that I've been a part of. Is like watching, just stepping back and watching people just celebrate this song with no instrumentation. Beautiful, dude. Yeah. Well, thank Beautiful. you for yeah putting that back on my radar, man. Because yeah, I mean, man. Of I guess course. it got lost in the shuffle with numb and faint and all those other songs. Yeah, dude, there, there's no fillers. There's no fillers, so, you know, yeah. songs get lost sometimes. Well, Chris, thank you for talking to me, man. I don't want to keep it too long, because I know you probably got to get back home to California, right? You're uh, still in Vegas. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I'm got i going to leave Vegas here pretty soon and head back to L.A. and then out to... i got to fly out to Phoenix to meet with Grey Days this week, this upcoming week. Damn. And then we go on tour with Alter Bridge the week after that. So, yeah. I get I get a full 24 hours at home and then I have to leave again. But uh, again, no complaints, man. This is this is what I've been training to do for my whole life. Well, I'm looking forward to catching you with Pistols at Dawn because I've already seen you before. But now it'll be like a totally different element. Yeah, we performed yeah. last night. It's only like our second live show, second or third live show with me as a part of Pistols. And it was so fun dude it was so fun and so interesting to perform original music for a live audience and dude it went really well so i'm super excited for everyone to hear this new music awesome so you can catch us on tour um with alter bridge in march and pretty much all of march and then you'll catch us on tour with ugly kid joe and fozzy may and june Okay. And so we're all over the place. We're all over the United States. So you can just go to Pistols at Dawn Fischl on Instagram and then Pistols at Dawn Band dot com. If you want to check out the tour schedule there and that'll have all our tour schedules. Gray Days. We're doing Gray Days uh, May 6th at U-Fest 
in Phoenix. So I think tickets are still available for that. And then um, we'll see, man. We'll see what the rest of the year holds for me and the projects. Hopefully more in the end shows too, and you'll uh, come back to the area. Yeah. Cause it looks like you're expanding further out east. Dude, yeah, the, the east is eating it up, man. Florida, Chicago. Yeah, man, it's a lot of fun. All right, well, if I catch you out, I'll have to give you a fist bump or something. Let's go, bro. I've enjoyed this, man. I appreciate you having me on. This was really cool. And you blew my mind with the wrestling, too. That was pretty cool. I was not expecting that. Cause... I don't talk about it, man. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but fuck it. I'm, I'm, who cares? Who cares yeah. now? I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. It's out there. And it's funny. One last little thing, too, is like right away we started talking about the radio stuff. I do part-time radio. I've been doing do that. Do you really? Yeah, yeah. It's a very fun art. And very important to local communities, dude. It's like I was so afraid to get on the radio because I stutter and all the anxiety and everything we talked about. But so I finally kind of overcame that. And I kind of I've been on the air now for like 10 years. But yeah, it was something where I'm just in a room talking to like a wall. So, yeah, I kind of felt like I got in a safe space and now I need to put myself out there the next thing. And so it's doing this kind of face to face thing. I like it. Uh, Put me out of my comfort zone, I guess. Yeah, I think that's important, dude. Keep getting out of your comfort zone. Keep learning and keep growing. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man. It's been fun, dude. I'm glad it worked out. So. Yeah, it was fun to talk to you, bro. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Starting up.